It's on, nigga. Fuck all that bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sound like Sasquatch's feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. Then the shit stopped when I fall the plot. Neighbors call the cops and they heard mad shots. Saw me in the drop, three and a quarter. Slaughter, electrical tape around the daughter. Old school, new school, need to learn, though. I burn, baby, burn like disco inferno. Burn slow like blunts with yayo. Feel more skins than Idaho potato. Niggas know the miracle molesting is taking place. Fucking with B.I.G. it ain't safe. Uh, I make your skin chase. Rashes on the masses. Bumps and bruises. Blunts and land cruisers. Big Papa smash fools. Bash fools. Niggas mad because I know the cash rules. Everything around me, two block nines. Any motherfucker whispering about mine. And I'm Brooklyn's finest. You rewind this. Bad boys behind this. Excite all the freaks, stack mad chips, spread love with my peeps. Niggas on the creep, got to watch my back. Think the cognac and endo sack make me slack. I switch it all back, cop sucker G's up. Won't force move, get Swiss cheese up. Clip to tech, respect, I demand it. Slip and break the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not fuck with your C popper. Feel a thousand deaths when I drop ya.
I feel uh, for I you feel like Shaka Khan, I'm the Don. Pussy when I want Rolex on the arm. You'll die slow but calm. Recognize my face so there won't be no mistake. So you know where to tell Jake, lame nigga, brave nigga. Turn front page, nigga. Puff daddy flips daily. I smoke the blunts, he sips on the bellies. On the rocks, tote blocks of christenings. I'm a cop in the fire position. What? 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 Come here. Come here. Open your fucking mouth. Open your, did I tell you don't fuck with me? Huh? Did I tell you not to fuck with me? Huh? Look at you now. Huh? Can't talk with a gun in your mouth, huh? Bitch ass nigga. What? Welcome back to the Hoots Podcast feed. It's yours truly, Joshie Lopez. You can follow me at Twitter, at the Hoots Podcast, Instagram, Joshie Lopez94. And if you'd like to see me do some cool guitar covers, uh, go check out at Josh Lopez Music as well. I put one, by the way, on my Twitter page. We recorded this on a Saturday of um, Obsession by Aventura, a great bachata song. Uh, I did that about a couple hours ago. It was a lot of fun to play, so you guys go check those out. Uh, thank you guys, as always, for supporting the show, where you listen to the main show on Thursdays, every single week on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. And just the general support for ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com really means a lot to me. So, um Going forward in the next coming months, as we in this next transition phase of the Hoots podcast, I'm going to be having specialty podcasts. Once a month, I'm going to bring friends to the show, people who work in the wrestling industry, and talk about different topics surrounding professional wrestling. You know, with the Hoots podcast, we always get into live topics and try to go over the week of wrestling as it was. But in this I can get into other topics that we don't have time for. So <laughs> if you want to get my full thoughts on ratings and demos and all the fun stuff that you hear from the COVID God, <laughs> you're going to get that today in this special uh, podcast episode right now. Uh, it'll be uploaded on our YouTube channel after this recording and it will be in the audio version of the podcast feed next Saturday, which will be a day before the payback pay-per-view. So thank you. 
each and every single one of you for the support of the Hoots Podcast. I'm not alone for this special. I have a good friend of the program here. His name is King Azar. Uh, you can follow him at Twitter at King Azar. He is a big Toronto Raptors fan, a fan of Notorious B.I.G. We're going to be talking about later on in this program. A really good dude, a guy who works in the television industry, and just a really swell guy. Uh, King, man, welcome to the Hoots Podcast. It's been Almost two and a half years since we did a show with each other on the pipe bomb. Yeah, it's been three years. I'm glad to be here. Love your show. Uh, you and uh, I think Derek is retired now, right? He's- uh, part-time, pal. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you guys have a great product. Uh, I've been listening to you for a while now. I, I usually watch you on YouTube more than I listen to the audio podcast. I think you're on Spotify, and I just got – um, a free Spotify subscription through my AT&T account. So nice. I'm going to listen to you guys on listen to the show on podcast. But yes, as you can see by the hat, the, the reigning defending world champion Toronto Raptors who just went up 3-0 on Brooklyn. Very nice. You're wearing Brooklyn. <laughs> Biggie. Um, yeah, as a Raptors fan, man, it's it's interesting because I live in the United States, and the Raptors are covered like they don't even play in the NBA. Mm. And they're champs. And they had a better record this year than the Lakers did and Kawhi's Clippers did. And last year, they had a better record without Kawhi than they did with Kawhi. And the year before, they had a better record than they did with Kawhi. But yet, it's like people don't give them the respect and I understand why because they're not flashy um, and they're not and they don't like have necessarily I would say a superstar because Siakam's really good Van Vliet Chicago guy right from Rockford Illinois I used to live in Rockford by the way for like six months shout out to the 815 to the 779 Lowry you know he's not seen as a top-tier point guard. But, yeah, the Raptors, man, they can win the title again. Don't sleep on the Raptors. Do not sleep on the Raptors. It, it kind of reminds me of how the minimal coverage the White Sox get here, at least for this particular season. It's like the step, stepsister of or stepbrother of the Cubs in okay. the city of Chicago. So I've lived in Chicago. I know you're from Chicago. You're from Chirac, as you like to say. I lived there for six years. Rockford, Downers Grove, Lyle. Naperville. Those are all Chicago suburbs, not Rockford. I feel like the White Sox are just the stepchild of Chicago baseball because everybody's a Cubs fan. Mm-hmm. The Cubs are everything. The one thing Chicago can agree on is the Bears. The other thing is the Bulls. The other thing is the Blackhawks. But when it comes to baseball, I've rarely met a White Sox fan in my life. They're all Cubs fans. So I get it. Being a White Sox fan must be like I guess being a Mets fan or a Jets fan <laughs> or a Clippers fan, you're always seen as little brother. But you know what? You guys won the World Series before they did. Yeah. It's after that. ESPN doesn't even acknowledge it at times. You guys won the World Series, what, 05, right? Yeah. You're Oprah's favorite team. You're Michael Jordan's favorite team. So – I mean, that's something to be said. But, yeah, uh, great to be here. Um, since the last time we talked, I've changed careers a little bit. 
I do, I've always been in marketing, I've always been in operations, but now I'm doing marketing for a very well, I mean, a very elite cable company. And so doing marketing and operations for a cable company, I have learned about the TV industry and I have met a lot of people in the TV industry at networks because when, when you're, just to give your viewers or your audience perspective, when you do marketing for X cable company, to attract customers, you have to know what channels to present, to, to package. Like, you know, you need to know what percentage watches sports versus entertainment, watches movies. And then, so you have to have a connection at all these networks because you, you'll call them and say, hey, person at HBO, what should I put on the flyer to get customers back? What's your hot show coming up? What right. shows will attract this demographic that might subscribe? So as I have gotten into the industry, I've been in it almost two years now, people, I talk to wrestling about people at these networks. Right. <laughs> uh, wrestling and demo, for some reason, it's like demographics mean more in wrestling than they do any other type of TV because of who writes about wrestling. And so I've asked them like, okay, the, 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 the preeminent journalist, and I'm not gonna say the name, I'm just gonna put it in quotes, says that the demos are, are Getting, they're getting killed in these metrics, blah, blah, blah. And people in TV would, would look at me or text me or IM me and say, bullshit. Like, the industry's changed. The way people watch and consume media has changed. It's like saying radio. Who uses, you know, you know uh, terrestrial radio anymore? Oh, I'm on 107.1 FM. Nobody, who, who listens to that? It's called podcasts. It's called streaming apps. Well, in that same vein, that's what wrestling is. It's like any other form of entertainment now. You can access it multiple ways. And right. how you look at things, you have to look at from various lenses. You, you can't just look at Nielsen ratings and say, oh, this show is a hit and this show is flopped. You have to look at YouTube. You have to look at Hulu. You have to look at I guess the WWE Network, you have to look at Twitter, Instagram clips. Like you just got to look at all of the media affiliated with the product. Then you can say it's doing this or doing that. And so everybody likes to rub, throw dirt on, you know, WWE. And I grew up, look, I grew up a wrestling fan. I watched a lot of NWA. I watched a lot of WWE. But I'll be honest, with, with, with my life and my career, I can't watch everything. So I choose to watch where my favorite performers are, and most of them are in WWE. So I watch it more than I watch AEW or New Japan. And you know, I just read this stuff, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you, you believe this. Like, do you really think companies are paying $500 million for a product that's dying? Like, don't you think people would lose their job? Like, one company makes $45 million a year. The other one makes $500 million, But the one that's making $500 million is going out of business. Makes no sense. I, I don't get that. Like the math doesn't work for me because it's about profit and it's about loss. And I'm a stockholder. I used to be a stockholder in WWE. They, they had the the best profit of any quarter ever. That that doesn't sound like a company that's going out of business. It just doesn't. So yeah, ask me about TV. You know, what what do you want to know? What what can I help your audience with? It's a two-pronged thing. Like, I want to get into the actual what real metrics are 
and how that's being evaluated throughout television, but also what we were kind of talking about before we got into uh, recording the show today is just the overall evaluation process of pro wrestling in 2020 from fans. I, I think it's very outdated. If you, if I could be frank with you, I just think the way we approach how somebody's over, how somebody's not over, just the overall evaluation on how shows should be formatted throughout weekly programming. I just think it's very flawed and very rooted in seventies and eighties wrestling. And even through all the wrestling journalists, even guys who are my age, like the Sean, Sean Ross saps of the world and all these people, I think there's a fundamental flaw with the evaluation process of professional wrestling for fans. And not a lot of people are taking the time to actually give their own point of view of the show as, as opposed to letting people in my industry dictate how they process these shows. So my question to start off with you, King, here in 2020, what is professional wrestling in 2020? And how, how do you, how could you answer that? Okay, so let's let me start by um, reverse engineering your answer. So number one, let's look at the pool of fans that exist for professional wrestling. I would say the pool of fans is probably all in, probably three million in America, right? If people are going to be like, "Well, SmackDown only did two point one million, AEW is doing eight hundred thousand, NXT is doing you know seven hundred fifty thousand, and." Raw's doing 1.7 million. Where's the other 1,300,000 or 1 million? Well, you just got to think of all the platforms you can watch wrestling on now. So I'll, I'll, I'll use the number of 3 million. Okay, so now you have a 3 million pool of fans. I would say the industry doesn't have casual fans anymore. Like, when I was in college, I was a diehard wrestling fan from youth. My friends in college got into wrestling because of the NWO, DX, Austin 316, The Rock. Once those characters left, they left with them. They didn't continue watching for Batista, Triple H, Kane. They stopped. It wasn't cool anymore. It wasn't hip. They got married. They got careers. They moved on. That's a casual thing. You and I are hardcore fans. We watch the product every week, whether it sucks or it's not, where it's great. We have 3 million fans. Now, how do they watch wrestling? Okay. TV is still the number one way you can access wrestling. But there's Hulu. 18 to 34-year-olds more likely are to have a Hulu subscription, a Netflix subscription, or watch it through some streaming app. Roku, whatever, on their on their phones, on their tablets. How they consume the product is different. It's not watching in front of a 55-inch TV in your living room. It's like, I'll watch it on my iPad. I'll watch it on my phone. Well, those metrics aren't necessarily calculated, and if they are, they're inaccurate because there's no technology to really capture them. It's all about overall conversation. So when you're on Twitter, and something is trending number one. Do you think every single person who's talking about the fiend is watching SmackDown? No. They're probably all hearing about it and then going on YouTube and watching clips and then going back and adding to the hashtag. To your point, just because a, a rating isn't, it sets a new record low. 
it doesn't mean that the show is dying because the industry is evolving. Perfect example. The company that I support or I do work for, during the pandemic, they had me work on a campaign where we called our cable customers, like hardwired cable customers, and offered them a streaming app. It's basically a box like Apple TV you put on top of your cable, on your TV and you can get all your apps. Because they knew people were going to call in and cancel cable because it was too expensive. That's why how you watch TV is changing. So to answer your question, how somebody is over in 2020 is totally different than how Randy Savage was over in 1988 or Hulk Hogan was in 1989. It was about house show sales. It's about merchandise and it was about pay-per-view buys. Okay, let's look at those three items. House shows, they don't even exist now because of COVID. And even before COVID, it's why sporting events had less population in, in terms of attendance than they used to because I have an HD TV. I want to be on my phone while I'm watching the game. Well, it's like that with house shows. Why do I want to go to a house show when I can watch TV, be on my laptop, talk about it on Twitter. So how show industry, how show business comes down? Right. Because ticket prices are, are too expensive. Okay, so how shows come down, but it's like, oh, these wrestlers aren't over because they don't they don't sell out house shows. Well, that's not true because go on in what Instagram is more viable of a platform on who's over than house shows are. Because I've been to house shows where Luke Harper got massive cheers. Anybody know who Luke Harper is on Instagram? Nobody cares. So how a wrestler is over is based on social media, interactions, merchandise that's still relevant, and how their quarter hours do. So Josh wrestles in this quarter hour, and he loses viewers. And then the person who comes after Josh gains viewers, and then that person leaves they lose viewers after. That person's a draw. That's what 2020 is. That's a 2020 draw. Not a 1988 draw. Not a 1992 draw, but a 2020 draw. And that's why the people who are on your TV are on your TV. Because they can move the numbers. And so to answer your question, that's how you, you look at how a wrestler is over. How many, how many people are talking about them on Twitter? or Facebook or social media. How, what are the quarter hours doing? And, you know, that's how wrestling is consumed now. I, I don't know too many people who actually watch Raw Live. I know a lot of people who watch it on Hulu, which is the 90-minute version or the, or the hour and 45-minute version. I mean, people, a lot of people have Hulu. A lot of people have apps. So just because Raw is not doing what it used to do five years ago doesn't mean it's a dying product. Because you know what? The NBA is down 40% in ratings. Anybody saying it's dying? No. It's still going to get $3.5 billion a year when their TV deal comes up because it's about having live entertainment as a commodity on your network. Yes, NBA games do way better ad rates than WWE because it's always been seen in the TV industry and the in the – consumer industry that wrestling fans don't have money to spend. 
But the reality is that's such a that's such a wrong statement because wrestling fans spend more on their product than anybody I know on a specific product. So I, I think that will change eventually too. But yeah, that's to answer your question, that's that's how I'd like to answer it. You know, for me, I I can make this analogy with sports. WWE moves the deal in professional wrestling, right? The NFL moves the needle in U.S.-based professional sports. People have their issues with Roger Goodell. People have issues with how NFL's handled, you know, whatever side of the fence you're on, the whole kneeling thing and all, all the stuff with the flag. But still, at the end of the day, the most talked about sport in the United States outside of soccer is the NFL. But still, on the side, the NBA is gaining a lot of popular popularity throughout the fan base, right? So, like, you know, maybe the NFL is not the most favorite entertainment-based sport for you, but it's still business-wise number one, and I could still say the same thing about WWE right now. Maybe WWE right now is not your flavor of wrestling ice cream, but it's still number one for a reason. If you look at the top 50-rated TV shows, most of them will be NFL games. And if it's not NFL games, it'll be college football. Football is king in America. Make no mistake about it. Football is religion. Football is it. Everything else comes after football. It's football's here. Every other sport's here. That's it. Yeah. Football is a game changer on television. There is no doubt that people stop what they're doing to watch a football game. I live in Texas, okay? And sadly, as a lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan, I live amongst Cowboy fans. When the Cowboys play on Sunday, that's when I go grocery shopping because there's nobody in malls and there's right. nobody at Walmart and there's nobody at Target because the NFL is that important to people. It brings people together. If you come to Texas Sunday morning, everybody's wearing a jersey. Whatever their team is, Broncos, Cowboys, Eagles, they're wearing it. I, I used to go to an Eagles bar here. You can only get in wearing an Eagles jersey. This is in Texas. So the NFL is so far above every other sport in terms of right. newsworthy, ratings, money, relevance. And why? Because you can gamble on it. And the way you gamble on football is unlike any other sport. Right. There's only 16, there's only 17 NFL games a year now. There's 82 NBA games. There's 160 baseball games. There's too much product. And night to night, there's not that many hardcore basketball fans who are going to watch a Bucks-Kings game on a random Thursday night. But... NFL fans, every Sunday, you know that's appointment viewing. Josh is a Bears fan. He's going to watch the Bears game. Roger's going to watch the Eagles play. X person going to watch the Cowboys. X person going to watch the Steelers. Right. We all have our teams. It brings families together. I mean, there's a reason more – I mean, the most popular sport with women is the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's not baseball. It's the NFL. NFL is king, so nobody can touch the NFL. Okay, in the wrestling world – WWE's king. Like, AEW does less than 50% of what Raw and SmackDown does every week. 
yet the company that does less than 50% is the hot commodity. So here are the facts. They debuted to 1.4 million, AEW did. They're getting 800,000. This is less than a year. They've lost 50% of their original fans. Where's the, where's the concern there? If the WWE started at 2 million and in eight months was at 1 million, wouldn't people say there's a problem? Here's a question I have for you, King. How much do you think the overall coverage from my industry affects or doesn't affect the overall viewership of wrestling today? You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think there's a an entertainment property that is as tied to writers as wrestling. What I mean by that is, Skip Bayless has made a career the last 10 years of bashing LeBron. That's what he does. Right. LeBron still has the number one selling jersey. Nobody cares. Skip Bayless talks about LeBron. People still go out and buy LeBron jerseys. If a wrestling writer says this wrestler is not a good wrestler, everybody follows. And if this wrestling writer says this product isn't good, they verbatim quote that person on why the product isn't good rather than just watching the product and making their own judgment. I don't know why that is. It's always been like a pet peeve in the back of my head. Like, why are wrestling fans so easy to follow these writers? Because basketball fans don't follow everything Stephen A. Smith says or Skip Bayless says. And football fans don't certainly follow what, um, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a football, like uh, Jimmy Johnson or Howie Long. Really. Right. Like, people watch football and they have their own opinions. Why don't people watch wrestling and have their own opinions? Why are they so influenced by a certain group of writers who are like 60 years old and like, let's be honest, your 60-year-olds don't determine how industry moves in any other industry. Do 60-year-olds come out and set fashion trends? No. (laughs) 60-year-old rappers aren't relevant to my niece. Like, I'll tell you quick. So, Mariah, I'm shouting you out on this podcast. So, Hmm. you know, Nas, Nas is one of my favorite rappers of all time, and he comes out with his song Ultra Black, and he says, we're I'm ultra black, opposite of Doja Cat. My 16-year-old niece goes, oh, he's just mentioning her name for clout. This is Nas. This is one of the greatest rappers of all time. She's like, oh, he's mentioning Doja Cat for clout. Because to that generation, Nas is nothing. He's nobody. He's something to my generation. He's probably something to your generation. But he's nothing to her generation. The point is, why are 16-year-olds so worried about a 60-year-old writer or 20-year-olds or 30-year-olds? Right. Why aren't they just watching the product and making their own opinion? And I, I'm, I've been in the media business for seven years. Um, I went to the Illinois uh, Center for Broadcasting, now known as the Illinois Media School. It's a school right down on State Street in Congress. 
the downtown area right around the Lake Michigan and all that fun stuff, right? So I'm right around Grandpa. I'm right right in the base back of downtown Chicago. I went there for two years, got my license to be a professional broadcaster in 2014, uh, started taking in lessons of learning, doing stenography and transcriptions because in any line of work in media, whether you're in video, whether you're a writer, whether you're a broadcaster, you have to be versatile. So not only can you have an on-air presence, but you have to be written in a lot of ways too. You have to work in a writing field as well. So I took lessons in how to do stenography. You know how it is. You have a court uh, court uh, uh, session or a trial going on. You have a little lady in the corner typing everything out. I found a little niche to give a different layer of coverage of professional wrestling that hasn't been really tapped into and done properly in my years of being a wrestling fan. Because so many years for the websites has always been, here's a result article, and either it's paraphrase, paraphrase from another website or literally copy and paste word for word what happened in those result articles. So you, King, as a regular wrestling fan watching the show for what it is, right? You're not a dirt sheet writer. You're not doing any of these website stuff. You're trying to process and learn more about the industry. But when you're reading these websites, none of it's genuine. A lot of it's repeated coverage. The headlines, the titles for the articles are the same. Uh, All have the similar tone. And it's only based on one source. Right. Okay, so that's a great segue. Mm-hmm. I don't. Um, so there's a bunch of these websites, and it always strikes me as one person will report something, and then the another ten websites will verbatim quote the headline, and then I click on the link and I'll read it, and I'm like, oh, this is what I already read, and I'm like, then why are like ESPN doesn't take articles from the Athletic and say come to our website to read their article? They have their own opinion. So it, I think the problem is the wrestling industry has had a monopoly on who the journalists are. And you have to break the monopoly. And the only way that's going to happen is individuals like you have to come into the industry and take people away from the current people who everybody listens to. And it's about you know supporting different viewpoints and products because it's like – I argue with people on Twitter just because I'm bored. And you know, these people who don't work in this industry that I work in will tell me because this one source says this is it. It's like, no, like just because this person who has a complete bias and is, has gotten paid from another company to write things a certain way and gets access, that doesn't mean that's what's really happening. And it's amazing to me how this one person can report something and everybody believes it. Let, let me tell you a quick story. So I, I went on Twitter and I made a rumor up April, the two weeks before WrestleMania, I made a rumor. I said, X person, and you know who I'm talking about, is saying that at an NXT takeover before WrestleMania, it's going to be Io Shirai against Sasha Banks in a dream match. And I quoted that that person said it. I was on message boards because people believed that because this one person said it, it's going to happen. And I got kicked. Like, 
I saw my tweet somewhere, but they said he said my tweet. And I admitted I made it up to show how much you believe something if I put this person's name behind it. It was like a test. I was in the chat room with my friends and I made a bet with them. And I said, look, I'm going to start this rumor. Let's see how far it can go. It got so far, and I know this for a fact, it got back to WWE like, hey, is this actually happening? Because this person says this person reported it. Wow. <laughs> and it's funny how you fast forward to July and that match actually did happen. But it, it's like this got this buzz, and people were like, you're on this message board. And I'm like, for what? They're like, they're taking your tweet, and they're saying, you said this. But you're saying you quoted, like I literally said, he, he said it on this radio show. And people messaged him and they're like, when did you say this? I can't find the clip. My point was, that's how simple this industry is, where one person has too much power. And you need to take the power, because, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely one person can't have all the power and that's what ended up happening i proved my point which is i can just say this person said it and everybody believes it because i put the one name that people sort of believe and that just tells you how bad this is because unless you actually work in stanford you don't know what they're thinking and even the people in stanford who leak things to these sheets how do we know that somebody doesn't know that's the leak and they tell them something and then do something the opposite? Perfect example. And I, don't, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to talk about her. The Extreme Rules pay-per-view, the same person we're talking about, said, this person's going to win. It's in the plan. The person not only didn't win, they didn't even win on Raw when the person said they're going to win. But it's part of the story. They lost. And I'm like, so I thought your source said this was going to happen. All oh, plans change because they hide behind plans change because it's the easiest thing to hide behind. Like, oh, well, they, they changed their mind. No, no, no. Maybe you actually don't have the source you think you have. Right. And that's what I tell people. Watch wrestling for what it is. Don't get too much into the backstage politics because we don't worry about what's happening. Like, Nobody cares what's happening in the coach's room of the Bears. They watch the football game. No, not unless you have the snarky side of every Twitter fandom, right? So that would be the only people who care. Everybody is a better head coach than their actual coach. Right. (laughs) I'm, I'm an Eagles fan. Shout out to Matt McCool. I know he's an Eagles fan. Every Eagles fan is a better coach than Doug Peterson, but Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl. Every co- every Eagles fan will tell you Doug Peterson cannot coach. Oh, he does this. He does. That's why we are watching, and he gets paid four million dollars to coach. Sometimes we just gotta let the product play out, and that's how I've enjoyed wrestling, where I just let the product play out. You know, for you know, for me, came like honestly, I take a lot of I see on Twitter as with a grain saw as much as I do Chicago sports fans when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks. Well, you're, 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 we haven't had to 
quarterbacks here. (laughs) It's an undisputed fact that we never had good quarterbacks here. But also at the same time, wrestling fans, I don't think they can really evaluate every aspect that goes into a professional wrestling business. And you are just mentioning the one source you are telling, oh, this person's going to win. It didn't end up happening. What level is that source in the company that even they don't know what the hell is going on? Right. Because, look, the smartest thing you can do if you own a wrestling company nowadays is leak fake information. That's the smartest thing you can do. Right. Because you know the same four journalists will run with it. The same four journalists will run with it. And that's the problem, which is you can own a wrestling company and leak nonsense and it'll be reported. Mm-hmm. And that's what's scary, which is without even checking, you'll they'll just report it. Because they know they can always hide behind, oh, well, the crazy old man in Stanford changed his mind. Because yeah. that's, the, that's the narrative. That's the crutch right there. The twenty fifth, the twenty fifth guy, twenty fifth guy or girl in the creative team is leaking out this info to the sheets because their idea didn't get through. So they couldn't come around with a roundabout excuse as to why that angle's not working. Yeah, I mean, your industry, your your journalist, your broadcast journalist, in any other business credibility standards are so much higher than they are in wrestling. Everybody's yeah. a wrestling journalist. You don't have to go to school for it. You don't have to study it. You just have to have an opinion and film a, a show or record a podcast and you're an expert on wrestling. It's dumb. But there's a 10,000 hour rule. Right? As long as you've done something for 10,000 hours or watched something, you're a quote-unquote expert. That's the Malcolm Gladwell rule. But a lot of us wrestling fans watch that much wrestling, but I sure don't want to do a weekly podcast telling people my opinion because my opinion is just my opinion. It, it, it's what it is. It's, it's, it's when I watch entertainment, I like certain things and I don't like other things. If you and I have a conversation about wrestling and you tell me, you, I know Mickey James is your favorite woman wrestler of all time. Am I right about that? Yes. Okay. What I was impressed about with you, Mickey James came back on Raw, and she got counted out. And there was a there was a movement of they're treating Mickey badly. How do we know that? How do we not know that there's a bigger story coming? How do we not know that maybe she wanted it that way? How do we know that this is part of a bigger bigger plot twist? Who knows? But just because your favorite wrestler loses, that doesn't mean it's the end of their run. That's what that one or two or three journalists have unfortunately poisoned the well. Which is if a person loses, that Vince doesn't like him anymore. Mm. He hates them. Right. This is what I tell people. If your wrestler is not on TV, you should worry. But if your favorite wrestler has a segment every single week, you shouldn't worry about how they're booked. Because at some point, the circle of booking will come back to them where they have your favorite world title or your mid-card title. As long as they're in a story, that's the money right there. Because TV time in that company is very important. 
because there's there's so many talent and there's not that much TV. So if your favorite wrestler is on TV, that is a win. People are like, oh, I love Bianca Bella. She's awesome. People are like, oh, she's only on main event. Still TV. It's still on Hulu. Maybe that's what they want you to do is watch her on Hulu. Maybe they're trying to drive traffic over there. We don't know. We're not in the meetings. This is a multi-billion dollar company. Just to think everybody who runs a multi-billion dollar company is stupid is ignorant. It really is. Yeah. Because let me tell you something, and I work in this industry. You know how far ahead Vince McMahon was with the network? He doesn't get credit for that. How far ahead was he with the rest with the WWE network? He saw a pay-per-view industry going down. He's like, people are not going to spend 60 bucks a month on my shows. How can I get the money a different way? He came up with the network. Now, I don't hear too many things written about how ahead of the time he was with the WWE network. I don't hear that because it's not a good story to tell because he's the crazy old man who's lost his touch. That's the story people want to tell. But he was way ahead of everybody with the network. You know? Right. Yo, I'm embarrassed that I have to ask this question, but uh, in my journalistic duty, I should ask. Honestly, does a win or loss on a wrestling television show dictate how a the rest of the show is going to go numbers wise. Mm, no, I think it's about the person who follows them. And I know, I know the example you're going with, and and I know, I, I think this is where you're going. Like, I think it was when the the, the match happened with Oscar and Tasha, and like two hundred forty thousand people stopped watching after that match ended, where it was the screwy finish where she won the belt by countout. Right. People blamed the, the the like that everybody left because they were so mad at the outcome. The simple truth is people left because that people who followed them weren't interested. That's the truth. Right. That was the match people wanted to see. And as soon as the match was over, it was 10, 15 people said, I'm out. That's the story. Mm-hmm. Because the person who won the belt didn't even win it in a really clean manner. And the person who lost kind of came out looking like a bigger hero to me because they, they went after, they tried to save their friend. If I'm just watching it as a television product, person chose friendship over a title. That's honorable. People could have said, you know what? These are the two women I wanted to see. I'm done. There's nothing else on this show I care about. Why is it that's not such an easy story to tell? Because that doesn't fit a narrative. That yeah. the, 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 look, one woman is of color, both women are, are of color, and that maybe the men in that company don't draw the way they used to, but that's not the story people want to tell. But that's how I saw it. I just saw it as people waited for that match, and it was over, and they left. Right. Who cares? Who cares? One or less? Do you think any number would have changed if Oscar won clean in the middle of the ring? No, they would still left. But that's how you have to look at wrestling. It's a television entity. It is an entertainment product. It's a story, and each 
quarter has its own story for its own segment. It's like, it's kind of like um, if you ever watched In Living Color back in the day, or if you watched. Great like, show. Mm-hmm. You have the homie the clown skit, and then you go to the um, fire marshal bill skit, and then you go to this other the fly girls. Like it's all different. Well, that's what a wrestling show is to me. There's something they're trying to give to everybody. The telltale sign is whose segments lose viewers and whose segments gain viewers. Mm. Whose segments keep you interested till the end of the show? That's that's what how you look at it. That's how you look at who's a draw and who isn't in 2020. Don't look at, oh, the show tanked in the main event, so that person in the main event's not a draw. No. Perfect example. NXT Great American Bash. 118,000 people left AEW, went to watch EO and Sasha. That's a draw. Mm-hmm. 118,000 people switch their TV to go watch this person or these two people. That's a draw. That's it. You can say, oh, well, it was the uniqueness, whatever. But the fact is, that's a draw in 2020. Now, do I think that those two women could sell out a 70,000 seat stadium like Hogan The Rock? No, I don't. This is a different industry. I think WrestleMania sells out because of WrestleMania. I don't think there's one match on WrestleMania that people are like, I'm going to go buy a ticket to see that match. People go for the experience. You go every, you used to go every year. You hang out with your friends. You guys go to your, you know, you go to the conventions, you go to the, the, the access stuff. It's like an event. When I was growing up, one match was WrestleMania. In basketball arenas. <laughs> Drove with my family to Detroit to go see Hogan Andre for Hogan Andre. Wow. That's it. WrestleMania six, Hogan Warrior. That's the only match. I, it, the rest of the card when I was a kid to ask my parents to go to take me could have been nothing. It could have been you talking for three hours and Hogan and Warrior could have came on after I got happy. I didn't care. Because to me, I went for Hogan Warrior. That's That was then. Nobody's... You know when when the women main evented, everybody made like it, it like it was a landmark moment. The reality is the women can main event for every WrestleMania for the rest of the time because WrestleMania is going to sell out on its own. The match that goes on last to me, it's just for wrestling journalists. Oh, that was the main event. People go for the experience. The name WrestleMania is the draw, and that's what CM Punk always said, right? He goes. It doesn't matter who you put on last. You could put Cena and Rock first, and it's not, that's not why people are going to WrestleMania. They're going for the show. So to me, that's how you look at wrestling draws. Yeah. Who you know, gets you to stay and who gets you to leave? I, I think WrestleMania, in a nutshell, like you're saying, it's like the biggest platform to showcase what WWE is. Yeah, everything going into the show show is culmination of the year's storylines, but just the overall, like you said, the spectacle, the brand, everything that goes into the presentation is like, hey, for those casual fans, you haven't watched wrestling in a while, they still find a way to watch WrestleMania every year. <laughs> Even if they're not watching the program. There's WrestleMania is still one of the biggest brands 
biggest oh. spectacle events throughout the year. I always see it on like top five or top ten lists on Forbes and stuff like that. It, it's crazy the amount of business that goes into it. You know, it's interesting. We're just coming off the recent quarterly call and the re- uh, results for the recent quarter. You know, everything that went down with the pandemic and everything, I can't picture how much money they lost with not having the full WrestleMania event in uh, Raymond James Stadium this year. Well, the, the city of Tampa lost the money. Mm-hmm. But the WWE has insurance, so it didn't lose any money. Oh, it didn't? Oh, Wow. Because because if, if you run events that big, you're going to have insurance on your product. So if something happens like a natural disaster and you can call COVID, you know, a pandemic, they're going to have insurance take care of it. But remember, WrestleMania, cities bid to have WrestleMania in their city. Right. Cities bid. They bid for the Olympics. They bid for all-star games. They bid for WrestleMania. That's when you know it's arrived as a brand. Where cities, mayors, councilmen, councilwomen are saying, okay, we got to spend X million just to bid for WrestleMania because we will pay them to come to our city because we're going to generate so much more revenue. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to get so much hotels, rental cars, Uber, Lyft, food. All of these industries are impacted by having all of those people in your city. Right. So the brand WrestleMania sells, not just the two on the main event. That's why I don't look at wrestling the same way like I used to. I look at draws as differently. Like I've heard, I heard somebody, the same writer we're talking about, say MJF is the next rock. Oh, God. Okay. So here's the thing. Even in the way TV is looked at, I don't see that at all. And I like MJF. I think he's the, maybe the best promo and he's awesome. But I, I don't get that. And, but, the, but the funny thing is because that person said it, people believe it. That's what's funny. That The Rock, of all the people you could have compared this person to, you picked him? You know, like pick somebody a little bit more, maybe not as accomplished because, you know, The Rock, I mean, he's had the highest grossing WrestleManias. He's had the highest pay-per-view buys. He's the biggest movie star. He makes the most money. Like, that's not the, com- the comparison. But my point is, that's how crazy this your business has gotten, gotten with what they write. Right. It, they can just write anything and people believe it. <laughs> it's crazy. I, it's, I... I remember the Kenny Omega Okada match, the one that got, I don't know, like, I think it, it got the, the, the highest rating. I said to myself, I bet you before this match even happens, or before people watch the match, people are going to say it's the best match ever. Because that's how much people can influence that opinion. It's like you're already brainwashed, like, oh, that's the best match ever. Watch the match first, then give me your perspective. That's what I don't get, how a certain group can have such power over an industry. And and it's time for the fans and the other writers like yourself to take the power back. Well, I think it's really important. We don't have to listen to what that person says because we have our own opinion. Right. Like, 
I don't care how many records Drake sells. And I'm from Toronto, as you can see by the hat. Mm -hmm. I'll never say Drake's a better rapper than Biggie. I'll never say Drake is a better rapper than Nas or Jay-Z or Rakim or KRS or Big Daddy Kane because I have my own opinion. And I know what my ears tell me. That's Now, by the way, it's my opinion. So if Josh tells me Drake's the best rapper ever, I'm not going to argue with him because to me, Josh has his ears and what he likes, he has a right to that. And I'm not here to criticize him. So it's funny to me that if somebody says they like a WWE match better, that person is offended by it when wrestling is art and it's theater. And how you interpret it is up to your eyes and ears. That's what I don't get. Like, I've seen this on Twitter. Like, somebody says, I thought this Seth Rollins Drew McIntyre match was better than Okada and Evil. And this person goes crazy. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. How, why? It's entertainment. If I think the Avengers sucks, that's my opinion. I'm not saying it sucks. I'm just saying that's my opinion. We lost that in wrestling. Like, of all everything else, everybody can have their own opinion. But in this, it's like this one person or these three people are saying you have to have this opinion. And if you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Like, I see a, outside, like, I think growing up as a kid, I think obviously what hooked me to wrestling was commentary at Jim Ross, right? We talked about this before. But, like, from the performers, like, the first character I ever loved was The Undertaker. I just thought he was the end-all, be-all. I thought he was representation of what uh, WWE was, at least from sports entertainment. And then, as the years gone by, I I haven't had a connection personally with a wrestler as I had with CM Punk. Like, it wasn't even him being the internet darling or uh, the flavor of the month for Meltzer, those guys. I just really connected with punk, the person. So I think for me over the years and just my evaluation process of wrestling as a fan is that I allow the content to tell me everything I need to know. And then I can view it the way I want to view it. And I think that should be fair and open to everybody out there. I can't have anybody speak for me. And it's not even just wrestling. It's just life-related. And we see this in a lot of arguments with politicians uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement and the election coming up. And any part of debates or any negative topic going around the world right now, there's just an outdated point and approach to all those issues right now, because a lot of people have a robotic mentality to how they evaluate and go through life. And yeah, is it, is it okay to have rooted core beliefs and go about that in life? Yeah. I think I would hope that common sense prevails more than the end, end of the day, but I think there's so many people that just like to stick to one particular robotic way of evaluating things. Then actually, taking the time to research what they're talking about and speak for themselves. Like, I don't know how you can live through life with having somebody speak for you. I just don't understand that. Look, you're a musician. And and I, I, I remember I, you told me that years ago and I forgot, I forgot about it. And I actually watched your guitar playing of Aventura, you know, Aventura who Drake famously quoted in the song once, right? Okay. Music is art. 
everybody's music means something to somebody different. Right. And this is where I have, I realize it now having a niece and nephew who, 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 you know, live with me, what they will think is good art or good music. I don't, but that doesn't mean their point isn't valid because for their generation and what they grew up on, this is good music. And it's like we've lost that when it comes to being wrestling fans. Like we don't want to make our own opinion about something. We don't want to watch a match and say we like we're almost afraid. Like if, if they're like, I'm gonna give you all the credit for this. And you were on this wagon first. <laughs> and I'm gonna go Jinder Mahal. You were on like, yes, I want to see this guy win the title. I want to see him push to the moon. I'm happy for him. I have a lot of respect for you for that. And I'll tell you why. Because it was your own opinion. Because this, certainly nobody was telling you that to do that. No writer was saying you should go like Jinder Mahal because nobody liked him. That's what we need more of. Like, watch a match. If you like the match, you like the match. Like, if you liked X versus Y, just because it got X one star doesn't mean it's a bad match. It's what you like. And this is why I hated, I hate the star ratings. Because it's like one person's opinion. And everybody runs with it. It's like the Source magazine back when I was in high school. We buy it. It's like, oh my God, Mod Meets Infamous only got four and a half. What should I got five? Well, who cares? It's a classic anyway. It got four and a half, but it should have got five. But that's one person who reviewed the album who said it's a four and a half. Yeah. But a million people bought the album. And 25 years later, they're doing clothing capsules about it. It's a classic. Doesn't matter the rating. So if a match that you watched means something to you, that's what's important. It doesn't matter what somebody reviews it. No. And I will admit this, like, people are so influenced by those ratings, it drives me crazy. It's one person's opinion about one thing. That person has a way they absorb and watch something. So if you, if you know how to cater to that person, you can create the match to get that rating. But I watch a match, and I might not think the same thing. But that doesn't mean my opinion is wrong. Right. It just means I have a different opinion. And that's why I was saying, like, when it came to Junior Mahal, I have a lot of respect for you on your podcast back then because you used to argue with Matt and you used to argue, like, hey, I like this guy. And Rob was the same. And I have a lot of respect because nobody was telling you to like him. Nobody liked it. Yeah. <laughs> and wrestling media was like, this is the dumbest decision ever. Like, this guy's going to ruin the company. It's going to ruin business. Sometimes you got to throw shit against the wall to make it stick. Right. Like, you know, like, sometimes the best things in wrestling happen by accident. Becky Lynch. She was supposed to heel turn Charlotte, right? Like, she punched her to be a heel. The fans said, you're not a heel. We're going to cheer you. She became the hottest thing. That's accident. She was already getting to a level. And when Naya punched her by mistake, it just it just took her. She was already here and it just like, Phew. because now you took something away from us. 
we wanted to see her fight Ronda Rousey, and you took that from us. So now we love her even more. She was supposed to be a heel. But the fans said, no, you're going to be our... And then those same guys we're talking about, you know, like, it's like, who cares what one person thinks? Like, if Josh thinks that um, Bray Wyatt and Fiend is a good, or Bray Wyatt, Fiend, and Braun is a great story, then he thinks it's a great story. I might have a different opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm right and you're wrong or vice versa. We all have to look at wrestling through a lens of it's our interpretation. It's our, it's what we want to see. And that's it. If you look at it that way, you'll enjoy the product more. You know, I, I never looked at wrestling as one way is the gospel when it comes to the program. I just never looked at it that way. And I don't look at it in that way in life because, you know, you, you brought the Jinder Hall, Jinder Hall um, example. For me personally, King, like I like seeing people prove people wrong. I, I, get, I drive off of that because I live through that mentality. I... That's another reason why CM Punk is a big role model to me personally because I like seeing people that people say, you can't do this, you can't do that for whatever reason, and they shove it up people's ass. I, For me as a sports fan, nothing would make me happier than seeing Mitch Trubisky ball out and give a middle finger to every national sports fan that goes out of the way to say he's the worst quarterback of all time. Nothing would make me happier. You know, I know a lot of people think Mitch Trubisky is the worst quarterback in the NFL. I remember when Jinder Mahal was getting pushed, a lot of people were like, oh, he's the worst wrestler in the WWE main roster. Nothing, you know, it's cool. Jinder Mahal, ironically enough, won the title here in Chicago against Ray yeah. Moore. <laughs> and, and people cheered him. Yeah. He won the belt. People cheered him, but the, the camera pan went to the one person shot. But I heard cheers. Mm-hmm. It's different. Like, here's the thing it's different. Like, so we don't have to go into angles or anything, but you know the the Sonya Mandy match now is loser, right? So I was I said this on Twitter. This is what I would do. Sonya probably needs to take time off because she's gone through such a traumatic experience. So is Mandy, but maybe Mandy because she didn't see the person. It's not as you know. It's not as it doesn't hurt her as much. This is what you do. Sonya goes away for six months. She comes back, wins the Royal Rumble. She's probably the biggest baby face. Because who's going to boo her? Nobody's going to boo. You're going to boo somebody who could have lost their wife because of a crazy wrestling fan broke into their house? You're not going to boo her. I would just make her the top baby face. But again, my booking idea was that she beats Shayna at WrestleMania for the women's title on Raw after she wins the Royal Rumble. And the reason I said Shayna, because I originally was about to tweet she should beat Sasha, but then I knew what would happen. People would be like, well, Sasha doesn't want to wrestle me. She can't lose again. And it's like, no, like, if the story calls for somebody to lose, they should lose. Yes. The dumbest thing that we've ever done in wrestling is keep statistics. This is, it's one of the dumber things we've ever done. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that I write the records next oh, to the wrestlers. You write the records <laughs> to give people the perspective. I'm talking about. I think Josh isn't pushed because he has two title reigns, whereas this person is pushed because they have 90 title reigns. Like to me, yeah. that's the problem. 
X person's had this many this many days as champ. So this person who sells more merch has to have. Look, I've watched wrestling long enough to know that if you're a star, you'll get everything you're supposed to get besides your resume because that's how the company works. Miz has done everything. It's the company thinks Miz is a star. And he's gotten every accolade you could want. He's had a pretty good career. He's had actually a really good career. Actually a great career because he came from like the real world or whatever that show is called. My point is I don't watch wrestling anymore worried about how many people, how many pay-per-views has this person lost? Because if I do that, I, I, I take myself away from enjoying just what they're trying to do in the ring and I get too invested in this or that. And it's it's not basketball. Like No. You talk about you, know, you talk about Mitch Trubisky. I, I'm not here to bash anybody, but at least there's real statistics that say Mitch is not a good quarterback or he could be better because there's a win loss record that is legitimate. It's not scripted. The other team is trying to win. But here's the thing: Bears finished eight and eight last year, right? Yeah. It's same record as the Cowboys. Dak Prescott this year is going to supposed to be an MVP. Now I'm, I hate the Cowboys, so I'm. I'm going to bash them anyway. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky beat Dak Prescott head up on Thursday night. Crushed him. Mitch Trubisky looked phenomenal in that game. It was great for me because I'm an Eagles fan. I needed them to win that game, the Bears. But the narrative is, is out there that Mitch sucks. But it's not because I don't think your city hates Mitch Trubisky. I think they hate him because they could have taken Patrick Mahomes or they could have taken Deshaun Watson. So for that, you have to understand where your fan base is coming from because they're like, Patrick Mahomes throwing 50 touchdowns a year. Deshaun Watson's Houdini. We could have had this guy, but we have Mitch Trubisky. It's not Mitch Trubisky's fault that the two guys behind him might be all-timers, right? Like, he just has bad luck. Look, I'm an Eagles fan. When we didn't take Russell Wilson, it pissed me off. You know who we took in that draft? Nick Foles won a Super Bowl for us. Russell Wilson's won one Super Bowl too. Now, is Nick Foles as good as Russell Wilson? No. But my point is, worked out. Sometimes these things have a weird way of shaking themselves out. Because maybe Mitch is so bad that the next quarterback you draft is the guy. I don't know. But I, I think that's why people don't like Mitch Trubisky. Because you could have taken Patrick Mahomes. But is Patrick Mahomes going to be Patrick Mahomes without Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, um, Tyreek Hill? Because the Bears don't have the skill positions that the Chiefs have. No. From a local point of view, I look at the Mitch uh, Trubisky thing like the boyfriend-girlfriend scenario. Like, yeah, the girl that – the. Let's say, like, there's a high school girl. She's mad at another girl because she has a boyfriend that she wanted. She, this is the whole quarterback scenario. Who knows if that person would have worked out if that person was with you, right? Like, I, me personally, just objectively looking at football, I don't think Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes have the same buzz with John Fox as their head coach. And I think context goes out a window in a lot of these situations. Yeah, we could do the whole hindsight thing. Yeah, it would have been a better option to go with those guys. I'm not – I'm not discluding that, but I think there's a deep-rooted thing where people would rather see Mitch fail than actually 
root for the guy. So I'll tell you a funny story about Mitch Trubisky. I live in I live in Texas, El Paso. I went to the Sun Bowl. He played for North Carolina. He played Stanford in the Sun Bowl. My friend who I took to the game, he's a lifelong diehard 49ers fan. And he went to the game with me because he wanted to scout Mitch Trubisky because the rumor at that point was the Niners were going to take him. Right. And I was just getting under his skin by saying, that's your quarterback, because he threw like three picks in that game. And he's like, oh, my God, we're going to draft Mitch Trubisky. It's over for us. But the Niners flipped it, got a draft pick out of it. And it's like from that point on, I knew Mitch Trubisky was going to have a tough NFL career because they were always going to hold him to he's the third pick in the draft. And if he doesn't do something, it's over for him, right? Because that's football. You guys have the best record in the league. You have, or you, in my opinion, and I'm an Eagles fan, so I can say this. I thought you guys were going to go to the Super Bowl if you beat the Eagles in the the double joint game. Oh God! I really thought that if you could have got by the Eagles, you were going to the Super Bowl. That was my prediction. I said to everybody. This is the one team in the Bears. They got the wrong matchup because Nick Foles is magic in an Eagles uniform. I know you're a Bears fan. You hope he becomes magic in Chicago. But my point is, I was just like, Bears have bad luck. They got the wrong. They played the one team they did not want to play in Chicago, Philadelphia. Cold weather team. Super Bowl champions, head coach that doesn't care. He's a gunslinger, a, a group of players who are not scared of the Bears' vaunted defense. I was like, man, if the Bears could just get by the Eagles. I told my friend who's a diehard Bears fan, he has season tickets. I said, I said to him, hey, hey, if your team could beat my Eagles, they're going to the Super Bowl. The problem is they couldn't beat the Eagles because of the, the kick. But I tell people, watch that game. Mitch Trubisky did everything he could do to win that game for the Bears. He got down. He put the kicker in position to win. He made some great throws. He can, You cannot blame him for the kicker. Yeah. You can't blame him. And he had he played against the defense that, by the way, the previous year won the Super Bowl. In, right? his, first, in his first playoff game. The first playoff game, he's playing the defending champions who were coming in with house money because, again, they had to win every game to get into the playoffs, and everybody wrote them off, 10-point underdogs. They have no chance. And it's like this is the wrong team for the Bears because the Eagles are going to go in like we have nothing to lose, and they're going to win the game. And that's what I, I thought the Eagles were going to go to the Super Bowl. Like I thought the winner of Bears-Eagles was going to go to the Super Bowl and if Alshon didn't catch the ball, if, if he, he held on to the ball in New Orleans, I think we do go to the Super Bowl because I think we would have beat the Rams. Yeah. But Mitch did everything in that game to win the game. Like, I was on my seat. I told my wife, I'm like, oh, he's going to make the kick. And he missed. It's one of the craziest sports. That's not Mitch's fault, you know? And, you know, I feel bad for the kid because that city, he has to go to another city. He cannot succeed in Chicago. He, If he succeeds as an NFL quarterback, he will not be in Chicago because they have turned on him and it's over. Mm. And 
I gotta be honest. I, I'm a I'm a big Philadelphia Eagles fan, and I love Carson Wentz. But if he doesn't win uh, something soon, that's if he's gonna turn on him too. Because sadly, you replace the guy who won a Super Bowl. You know, like yeah, it, it, it's like it doesn't matter that Wentz has a stronger arm. He's faster. He's a better athlete. The other guy won the Super Bowl. The other guy has a statue in front of the stadium. The other guy had a shrine built for him in the locker. The other guy is called St. Nick. And until you win something, Carson, you're not going to ever be that guy. And because Mitch Trubisky got drafted ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, he's always going to be like, Bears fans aren't going to look at, I have Mitch Trubisky. He could be something. It's like, I could have Patrick Mahomes. Now, personally, if I was an NFL GM, I would have taken Deshaun Watson. I wouldn't have taken Mahomes because I didn't see that coming. And I watched him play at Texas Tech, and I didn't know he was that good. But I knew Deshaun Watson was that good. And I was like, my God, are you dumb? I, I said it. The Bears are stupid for not taking Deshaun Watson. He was the perfect guy for that city. Mm-hmm. Nobody would have done Chicago like Deshaun Watson. He has that that he has that it factor that Chicago wants, that Chicago craves. So, yeah. All right, before we get into Biggie, before we wrap this up, buddy, um, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get into AEW because we spent so the first portion talking about the media business in WWE. So I wanted to get, I wanted to be fair and get to like the fan part of you and. Getting this AEW stuff because we were kind of having a conversation about Jim Ross before we pressed the record button, and um, you know AEW's on right now as we speak on TNT recording this on a Saturday afternoon. They've got their little um, Saturday specials since uh, the NBA playoffs is going on, and um, you know I I have had my uh, points of view on AEW, and I feel that a lot of times that they don't focus enough on trying to form on what their identity is. And I understand that this, the company has been only around for almost a year now, but I have, I have my genuine concerns about AW just from watching the product every week. Is there a good performance on there? Yes. I I'm a big MJF fan. Uh, yeah. Is it cool to have another wrestling show? That's TV 14. Cool. But I don't think uh, TV 14 or PG should matter on what's a good wrestling show or what's not, you know? So for you King, just as a wrestling fan, what's your takeaways in AEW? And do you think that their reliance on their partnerships or friendships or whatever it is with websites, do you think that's a good business model? Okay. So before I answer that question, let me tell you, I think AEW has been great for the wrestling industry. And here's why. Leverage. If you're the, I, I've, I always have felt like wrestlers in general are underpaid. And what I mean by that is WWE makes almost a billion dollars in revenue. So if you look at the NBA, if you look at baseball, if you look at football, the players get about 50% of that pie in salary. In the WWE, the, the wrestlers get like 10% or 5%. So the WWE is making a billion dollars, and the wrestlers who are the reason it's making the billion dollars aren't getting that much money. So what I liked about, what I love about AEW, quite honestly, is they've helped the market grow for wrestlers in terms of money. Because when you have competition, you have leverage. 
if you're ex wrestler, you can go to you can go to Vince and say, well, the other guy is going to pay me X. You want me to leave? I'll leave. They're paying you more. So that part I love about AEW. They've done a phenomenal job of raising the stakes in the industry. Like it's good. To answer your question, no, because they're booking for writers. You got to book for your fans. You have to book based on what your audience wants, not what writers want you to do. Because if the writer, if you're going to book to what the writers want you to do, hire the writers and let them book the show. And to me, every time I watch a match, I feel like they're trying to get that star rating. I feel like that's what they're going for. It's a bunch of, it's like, it's, it's, if the match is set up to make one or two or five people happy, not to necessarily grow the audience or make it improve. It's like, I, we're going to have this match because we know this person's going to rave about it and that's going to be our promotion. The other thing is I, as a wrestling fan, lifelong wrestling fan, women's wrestling is my favorite part of wrestling now. This, this has probably changed after 2015. I just think AEW is one of the worst things I've ever seen for women's wrestling. Like, they're terrible. They have not pushed the right people. Their matches get very little time. I don't like the quality of the matches. So, as a fan, I'm not that interested in their overall product because the, 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 the other things on the show don't interest me. What I like about the show is they do take tag team wrestling seriously. That's good. I grew up on tag team wrestling. I like that. But even the acts that I thought were going to be like edgy and great, I haven't seen that. And so to answer your question, I don't. I, I think it's a dangerous game to appeal to a writer or a subscription service. Like, you got to appeal to your fans. And I'm not saying they're not doing that, but every time I watch their product, it feels like, oh, I know who they're trying to make happy. Because the person's going to get on their radio show and talk about how great we are. And I, and I don't think you can run a business that way. I think you have to run a business to please the people who watch your show. Like, okay, we talked about it at the beginning of the, of the show. They started out with one point. 5 million viewers and they're down to 800,000. Shouldn't the object have been to keep the other 700,000 from staying as a fan? Clearly they didn't do that because they're trying to appeal to a very niche demographic. And so I just don't like that business model at all. Um, now I don't think you should necessarily book to make just because they like somebody, you shouldn't book the opposite of it because you're trying to prove them wrong. I don't think that's the right answer either, by the way. Right. I think you have to have people in that writing room or the booking room who are have their finger on the pulse of not only who's good now, but who's next. And I got to say, I don't know if any wrestling company does that well. I don't know if any wrestling company is like telling me who's going to be the next five to 10 years of this business because both companies go back to the same model, old people. Yeah. 
I people don't like Baron Corbin. He's what it is to me. But at least he's something like he's different. I want to see different. I want to see new. I don't care about Chris Jericho. I've watched Chris Jericho for 20 years. I'm not interested in him anymore. Because I've watched him for 20 years. I have enough footage on him. I know who he is. I didn't care about Cody Rhodes in WWE. I don't care about him in AEW. He doesn't doesn't move my needle. I like his wife. His wife is hot, but yeah, <laughs> you know, um, you know, like, I to me, I just think neither company is really trying to grow. They're just trying to make their core base happy, and that's okay. But I think you have to you have to figure out what can tap into um, an audience that isn't out there yet. And I don't even know what that is because with UFC being such a dominant force, maybe the generation just wants real fighting over theatric fighting. And maybe you're going to be stuck with 3 million fans and you just have to get as much of the pie as you can and just make them happy and make them spend more money. Because like when I was growing up, WrestleMania wasn't as big a deal as it is now. Like, and I went to two of the biggest WrestleManias of all time. I went to Hogan Rock. And I, I, I've been to more than that, but in my hometown, and I've been to Hogan Warrior. But people didn't come from Germany and Australia and spend a week in Toronto to watch Hogan versus Warrior. People in Toronto went. Now people are flying in all over the world, spending thousands of dollars on plane tickets to go to 15 wrestling events in a span of four days. Right. So the fans that exist now spend more money. Just get them to spend more money and slowly grow. What you hope for is Josh has two sons. And because Josh is such a big wrestling fan, his sons follow in his footsteps. So when they get older, they stay with it. That's what you hope for. Right. But getting back to your question, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to knock AEW. I'm not going to bash them or anything. I just, they don't, they didn't give me exactly what I wanted. Like I was hoping they were going to be different. They were going to push different talent. They were going to really emphasize the women division in a different capacity. Because the one thing WWE women, WWE gets complaints about if it's women's division is you push the same five people. But AEW doesn't push anybody. They don't push anyone. <laughs> and for me, that's a problem. Because they, they said they were going to do all this stuff. Like, okay, another thing they never get called out on. The boys will all have health insurance. No, they don't. They're independent contractors in AEW just like they are in WWE. Mm. The Young Bucks, Cody, and Omega have health insurance because they're employees of AEW. They're corporate employees. That's what the WWE does. Where's this revolution that all the boys are going to get health insurance? But what's interesting is the same wrestling writers who criticized WWE for years for not giving them health insurance then came out and said, well, it's too, it's too expensive for them to do it. Wait a minute. The guy who owns this company has more money than Vince. Go, go look. You know Shad Khan is from Chicago? Yeah, I do. Tony went to uh, U of I. Oh, so he has more money than Vince. He's a multi-billionaire. Can't afford health insurance for 50 wrestlers? Like, you take it out of the tax. It's subsidized, right? Like, I'm, a, I'm an employee of my company. I pay. I don't pay the full freight of it, but because more people in my company have it, 
the, the price comes down. It's simple insurance. But they never got called out on that. Nobody, nobody wrote a, a, an article of how they cheat the wrestlers. They promised insurance. It didn't happen out. It's too expensive. That's my problem with the writers. Is their bias is so bad that it's it, it ruins the credibility of everybody trying to write about wrestling for a living. I, I think the, double standards are the biggest thing right now, right? Person at the top has no credibility in an industry. Why would the people in the middle have credibility? I I don't get it, man. I don't. Right? So that's it. So yeah, like I said, man, um anytime you want me to appear in the future, I'm I'm all in on any of these topics, but I wanted to add some perspective from from the lens that I work in. And I'm telling you, just I hope more people like you put their product out there so you can eventually drown out the noise of the loudest people in the room because I just want to see people enjoy wrestling more. Like that's the one thing about wrestling Twitter that I don't like, which is we complain about everything. And I and I say we because I do it too. And I used to do it and I don't do it anymore. Like I'm 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 done wasting my time on who gets booked why and this person is buried like i spent two years of my life on twitter basically just talking about how this company sucks because they ruined sasha banks and now i look back on it and it's like just admit i i i feel bad that i did that because i equated how they looked at her by her title rings but I should have just looked at the resume and it would have clicked like, oh, wait a minute, the first woman to main event at NXT pay-per-view, a WWE pay-per-view, the most raw main events ever for a woman. She has she has more main events on Raw than Trish, Lita, Nikki, Sable combined. Combined. So I can't sit here and shed a tear for her. She's my favorite wrestler. I, you know, I could show you, I have the cardboard cutout right here in my office. The point is, if that's buried, then I'm sure everybody wants to be buried like that. And that's where I, I realized she's a priority for this company. They might not give her the 900-day title ring like Brock Lesnar or Goldberg, but she's a priority. She's going to go to the Hall of Fame. She can probably go into Vince's office and ask about storylines and, and get what she wants. That's all I need to know. I'm not worried. I don't care if she loses tomorrow night. I'll enjoy the match. Because life is too short for me to worry about people who are making more money than me and their booking decisions. I always tell people this too. They didn't like it when they leave. Go to AEW. Most of these people didn't leave WWE. Why? FTR left because... They were losing every week. <laughs> like, you know, that's why they left. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my two cents. You know, the, a lot of things with AEW for me, it's, it's just unfortunate to what the alternative is supposed to be. Like, you know, it's a different company, but I, every time I watch your show, I still get vibes from what WWE would do or what TNA did in the past or WCW. And it's – I, I, I'm sure it'll come in time, but you had to form an identity before you start shooting arrows at other wrestling companies and act like you're above other wrestling promotions. And, you know, when you call yourself all elite wrestling, 
that's going to come with elite standards. And I, I, I think for so many years we've seen so many companies come and go and say this could be the one to really give Vince a run of their money. And then they make dumb business decisions and it never follows through on what the alternative should be. Yes, AEW is great for the wrestling industry. It is. But the product and the overall infrastructure needs an identity before they start putting themselves in a pedestal that they don't belong on. Like, yeah, you have all these guys from WWE, but they're all in the same positions as they were in the WWE. John Moxley is the current AEW world champion, but Cody Rhodes gets more of a highlighted push as a TNT champion than John Moxley does. Kind of yeah. similar when John Moxley was the WWE champion a few years wow. ago. Go go back and watch the Money in the Bank when he won the title in Vegas, Ambrose. Look at the crowd then. Are, are somebody going to tell me he's a bigger star today than he was then? Didn't Meltzer say that Moxley is more mainstream than any of the WWE champions right now? I think the quote was, they know who the AEW champion is. They don't know who the WWE champion is. They don't know that it's Braun Strowman or they don't know it's Drew McIntyre. And, and, and I guess the way he came up with that is because on TNT basketball broadcasts, they advertise, okay, he's the champ. But here's the thing, though. I was watching Skip and Shannon, and before one of their segments, they talked about how, you know, Bailey is facing Nikki Cross. And a lot of people think Bailey's going to lose the title. Like they read the promo. Well, Fox Thursday does way more numbers than the NBA on Thursday. They would read about who was appearing on SmackDown the next day. So you're telling me that football, which draws 10 times the ratings of the NBA, if they say Braun is the champion on an NFL broadcast, that people don't know, The person you mentioned, he he has a point of view because he is specific. He, you know, he has a hand. He wants the other place to do better. So he's going to say what he's going to say. He wants access. He's a writer. He's a journalist. Journalist wants access, right? That's what. But if you look at Adrian Wojnarowski, who's you know the Woj bomb in the NBA, what does he have? He has access. You think you can break stories like that without doing favors for people? Like, it's a, it's a two-way street. So my point is, I don't think Ambrose, is, or Moxley, sorry, now, is anywhere near what he was three years ago as a, as a popular. I went to a house show here in, my, in where I live. He was the main event against um, Baron Corbin. No, 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 not Corbin. Yeah, Corbin. When he came out, my ears exploded. That's how hot he was. Like he was, he was ridiculous. I was like, and, and I was at WrestleMania when he fought Lesnar, and I thought he should have won that match because he was so damn over. Me too. And if you want to blame them for not letting him beat him, then you can blame them for that. You could say, you know what? They could have capitalized on this guy more. They could have pushed him more. That's true. But you can't say he's a bigger star now. You know why you can't say that? Because it's math. Two million people watch one show, 800,000 people watch the other show, but he's a bigger star in 800,000? That doesn't make sense. That makes no sense. 
It's like telling me if LeBron played in in Europe in Ger Germany, he's a bigger star because a a percentage of like people in Germany are watching it and they present him more. So he's a bigger star. He's never going to be a bigger star than he is in the NBA. And that's the same thing. Nobody leaves WWE and becomes a bigger star, maybe other than Cody Rhodes. Yeah, I would say Cody has become a bigger star. That's for sure. I can't deny that. He's He has more buzz and stuff. But are Gallows and Anderson bigger stars because they're on impact that gets 100,000 viewers? Like, they're used better, they're happier in their creative output, but to say they're bigger stars? No, that's that doesn't that doesn't make sense. It's like you can have creative success, but it doesn't mean you're a bigger success mainstream. -wise. And it's one of the reasons why when um, you know my favorite wrestler is Sasha Banks when she went on her sabbatical. And we thought, oh, she's going to go to AEW. She's going to go to AEW. I was like, I, I never saw that. Because somebody who is, uh, you know, who has connections to famous people because of, you know, her lineage would probably talk to them and say, you think I could become a bigger star there? And they're like, no, because this one program gets X number of viewers and the program you're on is on Fox. <laughs> you know, so... I just think it's simple. Like if you if you leave because you're not happy creatively, okay, I get that. But this notion that these guys are bigger stars is funny. It's laughable because nobody in the TV industry believes that. Nobody believes that MJF is bigger than Roman Reigns. No. No matter which writer writes that. Roman Reigns was in a Fast and Furious movie. We can't twist opinions and facts. Yeah, like, notice. If, if, if you think a product is better, that's your opinion. I'm not going to knock it. That's fine. But to say that there are bigger stars because you like them and they're being pushed better, that's not true. No. I, I, like I said, as a Sasha Banks fan, and I know she's never had a world title reign longer than 27 days, I still never wanted to see her go to AEW. Hmm. Because I thought it's a big fish in a small pond. Who's she wrestling? Like, wrestling is a dance. It takes two people, not one. Is she going to go wrestle? Is she going to go wrestle, you know, a broom every week? And, and is that going to appeal to me? Like, no, I want to see her. Even if she loses to Becky, I want to see her wrestle Becky. Because I like, I think Becky's great and I think she's great. I, she loses to Asuka. Okay, but it's Asuka. Like, that's the match I want to see. I don't want to see her wrestle Britt Baker. And Britt Baker's okay, but I want to see her wrestle I want to see you wrestle Io Shirai. So to me, the wins and losses don't matter. I want to see my favorite wrestler in the best matches she can have. Mm -hmm. And that can only happen in the WWE. You know, I think we can get a deeper appreciation for the product overall once we start evaluating and analyzing the actual product as opposed to what's going on behind the scenes or the other stuff we were talking about earlier, you know. But sooner or later we got to get to the point of actually trying to enjoy it as fans and analyze it for what the product is as opposed to what we think the booking should be, what the win-loss records are, all this ancillary BS that has really nothing to do with overall. At the end of, at the, end of the day, pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, is entertainment. And 
Uh, entertainment's the most important thing, not what somebody on a Twitter thread says, you know? You love, you know, CM Punk's your favorite wrestler, right? Right. Okay. So I thought CM Punk had one of the great wrestling years of all time in 2013 when he wrestled a classic with the Taker. He wrestled a classic with Lesnar. And he had that great feud um, where he was going to feud, I think it was him and Daniel Bryan against the Wyatts. Right. He lost all those feuds. He loved them all. Like I said, Sasha Banks is my favorite wrestler. My three favorite Sasha Banks matches, she didn't win any of them. Bailey Brooklyn, Becky Helen Cell, Bailey Respect, the Iron Woman match. Those are my three favorite Sasha, Sasha Banks matches. She lost all of them. But the matches were great. I just looked at it as this is what I want out of wrestling. It's not sports. Like, I don't watch a Raptors game and say, that was a great game, but they lost. No, I'm pissed. Right. <laughs> I'm mad. Like, you know, I'll tell you the, the game, game five last year, NBA Finals. We were losing the whole game as the game Durant returned for before he got injured again. The, the Warriors were winning the whole game. The Kawhi made this ridiculous run. He's like 15 points in a row. I was like, oh, here's the titles coming to Toronto. Warriors kind of gutted it out, hit the three. Uh, I think Andre Iguodala hit the three at the end to win the game. It was a great game. It was the best game of the series. My team lost. I didn't. I hated it. I thought it sucked because my team didn't win. I can't look at wrestling that way because it's not real in a real competition. It's real physically. But the outcome is determined before they ever step through the curtain. So I have to wait for the other shoe to drop. That's how I've looked at wrestling. I agree with you. I think if we just look at wrestling for what it is, it's a television show where the, the I guess the climax happens in the ring and you appreciate what they do for the athletics of it. Like, I love the, like, I think I was telling, I can't remember who I was telling this. It might have been my wife. You were telling me before we got on the air about the untold, the Bailey Sasha. I said, don't tell me. I'll watch it on my own. I watched that match live in 2015. And I am the I'm his biggest Sasha Banks fan in Japan. And I was like, if she loses, I'm going to be mad. Bailey. Bailey better. Like, I was like, the story tells me Bailey better win this match. I didn't want Sasha to win at all. She's my favorite wrestler. I didn't want her to win. Because she was the ultimate bad guy. And Bailey was the ultimate good girl, good woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Bailey's gotta win this. Bailey's gotta finally get the brass ring. And when she gets it, I'm gonna cheer for her. Sasha's my girl. But I wanted Bailey to win because the story made sense. And so I agree, sometimes WWE gets in its own way of trying to outsmart the room, as they say in the industry. Like they try to do things to be counter what the right decision is. Like when Lesnar beat Reigns at the WrestleMania, I didn't get that. That was like, let's swerve everybody. Not the WrestleMania you covered in San Francisco. I'm talking about the other one in New Orleans. Uh, I was there for that one too. <laughs> that to me was, we're trying to outthink the room. 
Why? Mm-hmm. Just give him his moment, let him win the title. Because the story calls for it. And sometimes I do feel like WWE gets too caught up in every dirt sheet says we're going to do this, so we'll do this to be different. They shouldn't do that. They should stick to what their story says. Because as fans, you're trying to please us. Don't worry about what – if they say that's the story, then give us give us what you think – what we think the ending should be. Like when, when everybody thought The Fiend was going to win in the cage and lost – that's why the crowd turned because it's like, why are you being difficult? Just give us what we need. Like I was at Chicago Money in the Bank 2011. It's one of the greatest wrestling experiences of my life. Punk lost, I'd have been pissed because I'm like, he signed into a new contract. This is the story that he's got to win. Don't give me this. Oh, everybody loses in their hometown crap. He's got to win because that's what I want out of wrestling. I want to go home happy. The story made sense. I don't overthink it. Boom. And so that's my only critique of, of WWE sometimes, is they overthink things. I agree. I agree on that. That's you know, when it comes to those type of things, like outsmart a room or trying to, like, outwork the dirt sheets, if anything, you should double down on those <laughs> because at the end of the day, you dictate your product, nobody else. I mean, obviously, stockholders obviously is a totally different thing. But it's not about content-wise. Like, you should dob- double down on those type of things. But last thing before we head out here, yep. it's been a really fun conversation with King. I'm really glad that we did this today. Oh, uh, um, we're going to talk about a man that I look up to, a guy wearing a T-shirt right now. Um, Outside CM Punk, this is probably my biggest life influence. His name is Christopher Walls. You can call him Freak White. You can call him Big Smalls. You can also call him Notorious B.I.G. Either way, Biggie, my role model. I know um, King is a really big fan of Biggie as well. And it's a little different outside of wrestling conversation where we can talk a little bit about music and how much Biggie's had an impact on our lives yeah. as well. So um, I'll start off with you, King. Just overall, like – not just only the music part of it, but what what have you always appreciated the most about Biggie? Because I see you uh, tweet out a lot of things about his impact in uh, the Billboard charts and all this other stuff in the past. Like, well, how's Biggie impacted your life? So, um, I'm not. We're not going to go into either of our ages, but I'm definitely older than you, and that's okay. <laughs> um, I, I grew up. I grew up. Um, listening to hip hop since I was like 10 years old. And I grew up, I was listening to hip hop well before Biggie came out. And so I have a, a top 50 list I posted on my Instagram, which was at a jar of picks. If you want to see my top 50 rappers of all time. And my five favorite rappers have never changed. And I'll give them to you in order. It's number one is Biggie. We'll talk about Biggie in a sec. Number two is Karis one. Number three is Jay's. Uh, Jay-Z, number four is Rockham, number five is Nas. Now, in reality, I probably should have Jay-Z at five, not three, but I just think the totality of his career is so great that I cannot deny that he's been great for such a long time. So it's like a longevity award. But I've heard every rapper, I've seen every rapper in concert that I've ever wanted to see. And when Biggie came, like I heard party and bullshit. So like I go way back with Biggie. So 1993, 92, 93, I'm living in New Jersey with my dad. And I would listen to Stretch Armstrong and Bob Vito's show. 
And I heard Party and Bullshit. I think it was on their show or one of the radio shows in New York. I was like, what the, who's this guy? And then I was like, oh my God, this is the guy in the Super Cat song. Because, you know, his first appearance was Super Cat Dolly My Baby remix with, uh, with Third Eye and Puff. And he didn't really stand, he was good, but he didn't stand out. I heard Party and Bullshit. And when I heard him say, if money smells bad, then this is then this end big is stinking. I was like, oh, this guy's good. Like this, that, ooh. And then I would listen to party and bullshit over and over and over again. And then it was on the Who's the Man soundtrack. And I, that was just like my favorite song of that time. That and Eric Sermon's Hitting Switches were my, my two favorite songs. And I remember just like, man, this guy's. This guy's incredible. Like, when's he coming out with an album? So he didn't come up with an album for a year and a half later. And when I heard Dreams of Fucking an R and B bitch, the song's called Just Playing. And we said, Jasmine guys, fly my carries, kind of scary. Wait a minute, one of my honey Mary. But when he said, I'd rather fuck RuPaul before I fuck them one of them ugly ass escape bitches, I was like, oh, this guy's ridiculous. <laughs> and, I heard and then I heard Unbelievable, because I heard Unbelievable before I heard Juicy. And it was over a DJ Premier song. I was like, this guy is crazy. He's, the way he paints pictures is, he's like Slick Rick, but he's like modern, a modern version of Slick Rick. He's, on, he's just unbelievable. So he was always like, he was like one of my favorite rappers in 1994. Like it was him or Nas or Buckshot. There's a bunch of them. When I knew Biggie was the best rapper ever was when I heard Kick in the Door. At that point, Biggie was one of my favorite rappers of all time already, even with only one album and the Junior Rock album. He was one of my favorites. When I heard Kick in the Door, I was like, fuck it, this guy's the best ever. And sadly, he died like, you know, four weeks later. But when I heard Kick in the Door, I was like, oh, fuck, this guy's the best. Like he said, your reign on the top was short like leprechauns as I crushed so-called Willie's thugs and rapper Don's. Anyway, he's dissing Nas in that. Get in the ass quick, fast, like Ramadan. It's the rap phenomenon, Don, Don. And then he said, I dropped unexpectedly like bird shit. I was like, whoa, this guy's insane. And then he dies. And then he brings in Life After Death comes up two weeks later. You know, he dies March 9th. Life After Death comes out March 25th, I believe. And I heard some of the stuff he was talking about. I was like, this guy, it's like, it's literally like Francis Ford Coppola or Martin Scorsese has a camera and they're writing raps and their pictures are coming into like this 3D screen for me. And so stuff like Sky's the Limit and stuff like, um, on, on the Life After Death is, is my probably my second or third favorite hip-hop album of all time, but it's the best double hip-hop album ever. And a lot of Tupac fans think it's all eyes on me, but I think it's Life After Death. And the stuff he was talking about, it was like he evolved himself. Like, he was great on Ready to Die. But then on Life After Death, he kind of got mature, and his beats had more polish to them, but he was still the best rapper. It was like, this guy's just, I, I've never heard anything like this guy. The way he put his words together, like he, like, um, if, if there's a song with the locks called Last Day, he goes, you know, he's using words like asinine and he was using these big words, but it didn't, they didn't sound that complicated. He just made it sound so effortless. 
Like I always tell people, I think Biggie was just the, the package. Like he was just, he had every, like if you have a box, a, a checklist of MC, you say, okay, this MC can do this, 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 this. Biggie just checked every box. Right. And what's great about Biggie, why I thought Biggie was just, just amazing, is he made you believe he was a sex symbol. Like, guys who look like Biggie were not seen as sex symbols. But he had little Kim, and I had little Kim's poster on my wall. He had Faith, and I had Faith's poster on my wall. He had Charlie Baltimore, and I thought she was beautiful. And he had all of them. Biggie didn't look like Tupac. Look, Tupac is a good-looking man. Okay, like let's just eat. Like I mean that in the camera, no sense. Tupac had everything. Like he was cut. He dressed in Versace. So I see why Tupac's a sex symbol. But Biggie also was a sex symbol. That tells me how great Biggie was. So yeah, like as a rapper, his music always just. I just love him as an MC. Like, I just thought the way he puts his words together, the way he flows, what he talked about. Like, he made a song, Me and My Bitch, which anybody else comes out with a song that title, you're like, this guy's offensive. It's Alicia Keys' favorite song of all time, Alicia Keys, right? So that's how great he was, like, Me and My Bitch. But, but women weren't offended by it. They, they were drawn to it. Like, they believed yeah, I get it. Like, I clean my, if you piss me off, I'm going to take your toothbrush and clean my toilet. Like, the way he paints the pictures, he's like unlike any other MC ever. And I am, like I said, he is my favorite rapper of all time. And I also would argue with anybody, I think he's the best rapper of all time, best MC of all time. Because I think for what he did, remember, his career was five years, 1992 to 1997. What he did in five years is remarkable. It's remarkable. You know, King, like, it's crazy to look back at this now because when Big died, I was three years old. So I was born in 94. At the time, like, almost turning three, right? So Big dies in 97. And think about it now, 23 years later, it's like, I, why would a guy who literally got his start, his first album came out a couple months after you were born, why is he this much of an influence on you? Well, the first music video I ever watched as a kid was Sky's the Limit. You know, they replayed it a lot on mm-hmm. MTV back in the day, especially that music video. Um, and just doing research and listening to his music over, over the years, I think what Biggie represented is a lot of things that I implore in myself as a person every day. And understanding the art of hustling and making your life in your own terms because, you know, there's aspects of life that are out of your control. You got to make the best out of whatever situation comes in front of you. And going back to what I said earlier about punk, Biggie's another person that thrives on proving people wrong and getting his paper and doing a thing on his own terms, but also rooted in being a good person. 
any you watch any documentaries, you watch the notorious movie, anything you watch about Biggie, they always said that he's always stood core to who he was as a person and being a good human being. Outside of anything he was doing, whether it was drug dealing or whatever the situation was, Biggie always stayed rooted in being a good person at the end of the day. And I was like, if there's somebody I wanted to model myself after, it'd be Biggie. It had nothing to do with the being the bigger guy or anything like that. But also from a musician point of view, I've never heard a rappler, rapper literally fit well their flow with music as I have with Biggie. It doesn't matter what song it was. I don't know any rapper. Maybe yeah, Pac was a great poet and told great stories. But from a musicianship point of view, I maybe Jay Z, Nas. A lot, there's other artists I can mention right now, but Biggie to me, from an instrumental point of view, his voice is better than anybody I ever heard in my entire life, and still was able to tell you those stories as good as Pac or even better at times. And for me, I Biggie represented what I always wanted to be. I'm not afraid of hustling. I'm not afraid of handling things on my own terms. Also, being a positive person. And when I when I heard the line "The sky's the limit," only make moves when your heart's in it. That's my favorite line. And then it goes, "Live the phrase, sky's the limit, motherfuckers." I see you chunks on top. Though that song right there is my all-time favorite song. And B honestly came represents everything that I wanted to be in a person. So that's that's how you influenced me. Okay, so you you said something about Pac, and you said something about Hov, and you said something about Nas. But to me, Tupac. I think it's the most influential rapper of all time. I think Tupac's the most influential rapper. That, that doesn't mean he's the best rapper. I'm saying he's the most influential rapper. I think that Jay-Z has had the best rap career. And I think Nas might be the single most gifted writer of all time. But I think Biggie is the best. And here's why I say he's the best. And I'm going to tell you this story. In this story... This, you're not going to get this story anywhere else because I, I was there. 1994, I'm in Toronto, concert hall. I went to a common, it's from your hometown, he's from Chicago, and the Beat Nuts concert. I'm in high school. People can figure out my age by that. I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> and so I'm at the concert, and I'm in a section near the VIP. And... Common and the Beat Nuts are there smoking, and they're getting ready to go on stage. And the DJ plays Who Shot You. Okay. And I have never seen other rappers go so crazy for another rapper who is their contemporary song. They went up to the DJ and they're like, play that shit again. They played it again. They heard it again, they went back to the DJ to play that shit again. And I heard, I could read lips, and they're like, as a fucking best. Like, you gotta understand, people for Common is one of the best rappers of all time. Common Sense is one of the best rappers of all time. He's one of my favorites. I love, I'm a huge Common fan. When he's like, when I, and, and when, if you watch the A&E documentary, I showed this clip to my wife. When Who Shot You came out, Nas said, I wanted to retire. He said, fuck, I can't make that song. Mm. Biggie, Biggie, Jay-Z tells a great story. Jay-Z's like, I, I get in my friend's car. He puts the cassette in of Who Shot You. He looks at me and says, you got a long way to go before you get to that level. 
So I think my single favorite Biggie song of all time is Who Shot You? But the stuff he was saying on that song over that beat, I've never heard anybody spaz on a beat like that in my life. Like he just, he said, who shot you? Separate the weak from the obsa. Leak, hard to creep in Brooklyn streets. Call the bickering beef. I can hear sweat trickling down your cheek. Your heartbeat sounds like Sasquatch feet. Now think about that. Sasquatch, which is Bigfoot's feet. Your heartbeat sounds like Sasquatch feet. Thundering, shaking the concrete. And the shit stops. Or the plot, neighbors call the cops because they heard mad shots. Quarters, electrical tape around your daughter. Old school, new school, that's the Tupac disc. Need to learn though. A burn, baby, burn like Disco Inferno. Burn slow like blunts with yayo. Peel more skins than Idaho potatoes. I, I never heard shit like that in my life. <laughs> so I always tell people, like, you think you're a great rapper? Let me listen to Who Shot You. And to me, that is the measuring stick. Like, that's what Jay-Z... So Jay-Z and Nas are two of my five favorite rappers of all time, and I think they're two of the best ever. And they're telling you when they heard that song, they didn't know what to do. That's how good that song was. That's Jay-Z. That's Nas. That ain't the guy on the corner trying to rap. That's two of the best ever. And when they tell you that this song was so good that they were like, oh, shit, what do I do? That should tell you how great Diddy was. The game, a from, the game is from the West Coast. And he grew up on Snoop and Dre and all that stuff. Who's Game's the Biggie's best rapper? Because Biggie was so great that people on the West Coast love Biggie. But the Tupac beef kind of got in the way of that. Yeah. And and look, man, I think the thing that hurt me, I, Biggie's death hurt me. Another story. I was with my little sister. What up, Priya? Um, and she owns her own magazine. And now, but we were a kid. I, I took her to the record store. And we're playing a bunch of Biggie songs. We're playing a bunch of Biggie songs. I didn't get why the, the day after he died. And back then, news didn't travel the way it does now, right? Like, oh, Biggie got shot. You know, like when Nipsey Hussle died, you knew about it like that. Cause it's all on Twitter, right? So Sunday morning, he died on a Saturday night. I, I go to the record store. I didn't know anything. Nobody tells me anything. I go back home. I check my answering machine. Back when we had the tapes and you had to press the button. Right. Yo, your <laughs> boy got shot. What? Yo, Biggie's dead. What? Biggie Smalls? What do you mean he's dead? He got shot in LA. Call people. They're like, yeah, he died in LA. He's dead. I didn't know he died. I didn't know until I got back home the Sunday afternoon. That shit hurt. Because I'm like, fuck, I just heard kicking the door. This guy's going to be the best. He's the best ever. Mm. I just heard somebody's got it eye. The first verse I got on a mixtape. It's like, I want to hear this album. I want to hear this guy make 10 albums. But I was mad. It hurt. Because you know why it hurt? Because it didn't have to happen. He didn't have to go to LA and he could have stayed his ass in New York. And he could have lived. And it's sad for me that Tupac and Biggie were taken. Like, Tupac died because he had some beef with, you know, the, the gang stuff in L in Vegas. Biggie died because people think Biggie had something to do with Pac's death. And that's what bothers me. 
Like Biggie was a, like you said, he's a nice guy. He couldn't drive. People don't know this about Biggie. He couldn't drive. He had a fear of driving. Me too. <laughs> well, maybe that's a, there's there's a reason you can relate to certain people, right? Biggie has a fear of driving, so he always buy his crew nice cars because he couldn't drive them, but he'd buy them for them so he could drive them around, drive them around in them. But even go back and watch the Notorious movie. He never drove. You never saw him drive because he couldn't drive. Stevie Wonder can't. I'm not Stevie Wonder. Quincy Jones can't drive. Spike Lee can't drive. So my point is, man, like he was nice to the people around him. He took care of everybody. And it's sad because he was just my favorite rapper. Like he was just my favorite MC. Like I listen to Life After Death all the time. I listen to Ready to Die all the time. Hell, I like the Junior Mafia album. I like the the posthumous album. Like the song he did with, you know, the song, the remade Nasty Girl with Jagged Edge and Nelly. Yeah, that song was a hit. Um, yeah, Biggie's just the, to me, he's just the best rapper ever, and it was it was a tragic loss when it happened because this is my opinion, and I'm I could be wrong about this, and I offend people with it. Biggie and Pac didn't die. Jay Z never becomes Jay Z. Yeah, he doesn't become Jay Z. No, and I think Jay Z's one of the best rappers ever. I love Jay Z, but I'm saying like there was no lane for Jay Z. Tupac and Biggie were like everything. They both died, a space became available. You know, right. kind of like in wrestling, right? With the NWO all going to Turner, it opened up a lane for Steve Austin. But like, if Biggie got to live, I think Jay Z would have always just been in his shadow because Biggie was just that good. And I've never heard Jay Z spaz on a song like Who Shot You or Unbelievable or Kicking the Door or Te- Go back and listen to Ten Crack Commandments. Great song. <laughs> Go back and listen to Ten Crack Commandments, right? Like, he's painting such a vivid picture on why a drug dealer, you know, this is how you should do things as a drug dealer. Like, he painted such a vivid picture. And Jay-Z was the bigger drug dealer than Biggie, but Biggie just did it. He just painted such a better picture, you know? Never get high on your own supply. Number five, never sell crack where you rest at. I don't care if they want an ounce, tell them bounce. Number six, the goddamn credit, forget it. You think a crackhead paying you back shit, forget it. Seven, this rule is so underrated. Like, I can go on and on. I can. I know every lyric he's ever written. I know everything he's ever done. He's just simply, to me, the greatest MC of all time. That's it. You, you know, King, like I look at, I try to look at songs over the years that since Biggie's passed, like which song would Biggie do, and that would be bigger selling than what that artist did. I was listening to one before he came on here uh, from Jay Z called "Can I Get a," and I feel like if Biggie did that song with his flow, that would have been bigger than what Jay Z. Can I get a? Can I get his Ja Rule song? But Jay-Z and Emil were on, and Ja Rule gave the song to Jay-Z, and it became one of Jay-Z's biggest songs ever. But it's funny you say that. I always think about that with Biggie, but I think about the beat. I don't think about the song. So um, what song was it recently I thought about? Oh, I think about – do you, you ever heard the song? Do you know, you know who Capone and Noriega is, right, the rap group? Yeah. So go, have you ever heard the song T-O-N-Y? Yes. Mm-hmm. P-O-N-Y. Okay. So 
Biggie was supposed to be on the remix of that song. He died before he got to record the verse. So Biggie loved that song so much. He called Nori himself and said, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping on your remix. I don't care. I'm coming on your remix. Think of him on that beat. I think of, what about him on Rough Riders Anthem? Right? Think of what he could have done on Rough Riders Anthem. I think of him on um, Empire State of Mind. Yeah. Like him, him doing like a guest verse on Empire State of Mind, like him and Jay-Z talking about New York. Or I think about him on Made You Look by Nas. Uh, or I think about him on uh, uh, All of the Lights, Kanye. Or I think of him on um, another song I was thinking about the other day. Oh, I think about him on Think about him on Still Still Tipping, Paul Wall, Mike Jones, Slim Thug, him on the remix. But I think of Biggie, because people forget Biggie, he did the Bone Thugs flow just as good as they did or better, right? Like he jumped on the song, song with Bone Thugs. If you want to see me rap fast, I could do that too. And it's just like he did that. Like he's just like, I'm that good. I can do it. Um I have talked to a very I'm not gonna say his name, but I know of a very famous rapper, and I'm talking about he's in anybody's top 20. This rapper. And he told me, like, Biggie was just like an alien like the shit he could do he was like an alien like he could get on the grimiest street shit and then he could go do one more chance he could do big papa and he can turn around and do suicidal thoughts nobody could do that shit like they even said like he made some of puffy's mediocre stuff sound great because he was just that good yeah like he was just so good that he took a beat like Juicy, which most people probably couldn't flip. He made it into a cl all-time classic, right? Like he took the original. I'm gonna put the the Pete Rock remix on the B side with the drums. You know, like a song like Big Papa, the beat isn't anything like out of this world. It's it's a it's a you know it's an Isley Brothers loop, but he just he just made it his own, like. One more chance. My that. favorite music video. Yeah, that's that's a great video. He could he could do that. He's just like I said, man. I can spend a three-hour podcast <laughs> on you why I like Biggie so much, and I can go through his whole career. I can quote all his lyrics, you know. And and I know this is kind of the last segment, and I'm going to give you my five favorite Biggie songs of all time. Number one, I already said is Who Shot. Number two, kick in the door. Number three, long kiss goodnight. Number four, ten crack commandments. Number five, unbelievable. But even though I gave you five, I could give you 30 because I love all his stuff. You know, um, one of my favorite biggie songs, Everyday Struggle. That's my sister's favorite biggie song, Everyday Struggle. I love that song. Like, just the way he, you know, the way he painted the picture of the crack dealers, you know, struggling. It's just, he's like, unbelievable. And I just, I've always, 
he's the guy I think about like, fuck, what if he could have lived so like what if he was alive now? What what kind of career would I have gotten out of him? How many classics? Like would I gotten ten? Would he have made because I I don't know if he could have made a bad album. Like he didn't seem incapable. He seemed incapable to me of that dud. Like Jay-Z has had a couple of bricks and Nas has had a couple of bricks and Pac and Pac had a couple before he became Pac. Right. I just felt like Biggie was incapable of making a bad album. You know, he adapted so well to everything. Yeah, I, I think for like for me when it comes to Biggie, like to have that ability to be so good at what you do that it trumps even the worst content that comes out of you, like you said, making uh, chicken salad out of chicken yeah. shit, or, uh, Diddy Beats, but the Diddy Beats, but like, man, <laughs> I always wonder like how big it would be on like Poetic Justice with uh, Kendrick Lamar that came out a few years yeah, back. Like, you think about what what could Biggie have done on Poetic Justice or like Biggie on a Drake album. Because, like, Drake talked about it when he made Scorpion. He said, I just kept listening to Life After Death over and over again. And my whole goal for Scorpion is I got to make a double album that's on the level of Life After Death. Because Big just nailed it. Like, he went, somebody's got to die. Hypnotize. Kick in the door. Fucking you tonight. Last days. Um, I get the, I love the dough. What's beef? More money, more problems. Um, just bleed. Okay, I, I forgot the song. I got a story to tell. I was like, this guy's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, that story, it, you, it was actually a real story. Like, I didn't know the story was about Anthony Mason. Right? The NBA player. But... It's just that's who Biggie was, man. He just painted the best pictures. Like I always want, I want people, I want somebody to do this. I want somebody to take all of Biggie's songs and make it into a movie. Like I want a movie about all of Biggie's songs. Like I want, I want to see Arizona Ron, Dark Skin Jermaine, Pop from the Barbershop. Like I want all of them to have like some cinematic stuff to it. Right. Go listen to Warning. He said, who the fuck is this paging me at 546 in the morning, crack of dawn, and now I'm yawning, what the, on my eyes, see who's this, like, he's just, yeah, he's just the best. And quite honestly, I'm glad there is a generation like you, who's younger, who loves Biggie, because I feel like he's not lost, and people still talk about how great he was, but, like, I feel like... He, you know, as, as time goes on, there's a generation that might forget about him. So I think it's great that somebody who was born in 1994 still looks at him as such an influential figure of their life, because what it tells me is great music will live on forever. Right. That's, that's awesome. I think that's great. If you, so, ever, if you ever did, like, a fantasy book thing, we're going to wrap this up with this, but like, if you ever did, like, a fantasy book you saw with Biggie, for me, it would be, like, Currently, uh, I know Drake and Chris Brown came out with no guidance. Drake, Chris Brown, Pac, and Biggie, all four of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to hear. I would have loved to hear Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, and Biggie. That'd be awesome. 
I would have loved to hear Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole, Biggie. I would love to hear Drake and um, Joey Badass. But, you know, I would love to hear Benny the Butcher, Griselda with Drake. My dog is barking. I'm going to let him in. Hold on. Yeah, guys, for me, my my five favorite Biggie songs are like this. We're going to wrap it up with this. My five favorite Biggie songs are unbelievable at five. Number four, I got a story to tell. Three, one more chance. Number two, what's beef? And then number one is sky's the limit. Those are my all those songs. I love what's beef. You know, his his buddy gutter, throw him over the bridge. I love all those songs. Um yeah, I, you know what? I missed I Got a Story Doll. I missed What's Beef. And I missed, I mean, One More Chance Remix, you can't go wrong with it. It's just he has so many songs that you have to pick five. Yeah. And I just picked <laughs> five. That, and my five is simply the five I've listened to the most, but I've listened to all his stuff so much. Like Player's Anthem. The legacy song that Faith Evans did last year was great. But go listen to the Junior Mafia album, Conspiracy, song Oh My Lord with him and Cleft. He killed yeah. it. Rounds of Junior Mafia. Killed it. Um, one of the all-time great cameos he did on Flavoring Your Remix. You know? He said, don't be mad. UPS is hiring. I mean, <laughs> he's just, he was just so, um, like, just, it's just remarkable how good he was. And I always tell people, like, I'm not saying he would have ended up maybe having like maybe part of my my love for biggie is that he died in 1997 and i never got a chance to see him really fall off because as he died at his peak right like he literally died and two weeks later life after death comes out and it's like okay but i don't know if he could have made a bad song he, he he always was good on everything he did like i never heard a lyric from biggie i'm like oh that sucks like every lyric he had i liked Maybe the beat I didn't like, but every lyric I heard from him, I loved. Go YouTube this. Maybe you already have. Have you ever heard a song about Pepsi? Okay. Yeah. So you heard a song about Pepsi. Why is Pepsi not using that in the campaign? I have no idea. (laughs) All right. I'm going to let you go because my dogs probably need me to walk them. But this has been an honor and a pleasure. And anytime you need me, I, I got you, okay? I appreciate you, man. Guys, make sure to follow King real quick on Twitter at KingAjar. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at KingAjar, and my Instagram is at AjarPicks. I'm really not on Instagram that much. I just post albums I listen to. But I am active on Twitter. And like I said, go check out this man's podcast, The Hoots Podcast on all platforms, correct? Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you for the conversation. Keep in touch. Will do, man. All All right, right. folks. That was King Azar, a great friend of the show. And uh, with that note, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank you guys so much for checking out this special episode of the Who's Podcast. will be available next Saturday, the day before payback. And um, thank you guys for the support. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Peace.